Listeners, and welcome back to the Horror Autopsy. We're your hosts, Paolo and Ed, and thank you for joining us as we dissect the vicious tissues of horror. Yes, that's what we're doing today. Um, as always, as always. <laughs> how are you doing, Paolo? How um, uh, have you watched any decent horror films recently? I've watched a lot of movies recently. Actually. Oh yeah. So I watched the uncut, colorized version of. Human Centipede 2. Oh no, yes. fucking hell. Um, I've avoided all of those films, but I mean, I will watch pretty much anything, and I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I'm not that squeamish when it comes to horror. I think I rarely even get that scared watching horror movies anymore, but something about the Human Centipede really? franchise has just always, always just seemed so repulsive to me that I've never, um, I, I've just never had any interest in, in watching them, particularly uh, the second and third, which just sound absolutely vile, but you tell me, was it, was it yeah. any good? I quite like the first one. I will actually go so far as to think that. That's I think the only one that I thought sounds like not be just a, you know, complete for shock value, you know, disgusting piece of trash. It kind of is. They all sort of are, though. I think the first one overall is the better movie. It's acted better. And it, it, it kind of just feel like an 80s, like, um, trauma sort of movie. The second one starts... I, I, <laughs> it's rubbish. It's really rubbish. And there is a real, like, leering sadism. So I've, well, I've read the Wikipedia entries for all three, just, as you know, from uh, morbid curiosity, and that was more than enough right okay so you know you know there's a kind of postmodern thing where this guy is obsessed with the first human centipede yeah and creates his own human centipede yeah he was abused as a kid you know there's people you know sharting into each other's mouth there's mm-hmm. uh, an assault scene that involves barbed wire mm-hmm. a masturbation scene that involves sandpaper yeah people's ligaments get cut uh, a pregnant woman and a, who gives birth and then crushes her baby. Is that, yeah, all this, Things just, like this. you know, I'm, I'm fine with um, extreme horror. Like, I love the Saw franchise, um, Five of Destination as well. I have no problem with gore, but it just seems so nasty and mean-spirited. That's the point. That's that the, is the point. That's, what, that, that's, um, that's the reason I don't like Hostel, for example. Right. Those films really just rub me the wrong way. It kept my attention. I refrained from using the word entertaining, but it is. It's almost like going to a... You know, listening to Mayhem or some of those Norwegian black metal bands, mm. you kind of know what it is that you get, and it's not yeah. for everybody. No. Um, and <laughs> no. it's not—it's not good either. It's—it's it's a really terribly acted and put together film. Mm. But I think people only watching Human Centipede two specifically are only going into it to see the kind of shock of it. And it was made to shock, yeah. and you know, it's yeah, it's kind of putrid and juvenile. Mm. Um, but I'm kind of glad I watched it. Yeah. I thought it was, was it still banned here? It's un- it? So I bought, so the reason I watched it was because I bought the DVD of it, realised it was cut by five minutes. Okay. And um, so, well, I'm an adult. I'm going to watch it, you know, I want to <laughs> yeah. watch the whole thing. And then okay. watch the DVD cut. And really, it's quite a lot cut out of the, uh, the yeah. DVD cut. Um, I think it's quite rare that a film is banned or like severely Well, it was on the grounds days. of 
the leering sadism mm. and you know, the kind of the focus on like sexual violence. Even though I, I don't know, I, I feel it's a really. I mean, we won't get into it here, but I, I do feel it is a, a straw man argument. Really, you know, the film, the film, you know, lingers on violence, but it's not, you know, eroticized. If people are going to get turned on by it, they're already kind of crazy. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's. I think we spent too much time on talking about yes, that movie. Let's move on. Um, what else have you watched? Uh, I also saw the. Northman. Oh, okay. Robert Eggers' new, Robert new movie. Robert yeah. So this isn't a horror film, is it? I've, um, I've I mean, the, there are inflections yeah. of. Yeah, but it's the it's like the old sweet set, like sort of medieval yeah. sort of times. I think North I read the. Yeah, it's like and the the story that it's based on is what inspired Shakespeare. I think to write Hamlet. It's funny you say that. People I saw it with as soon as it ended, they're like, "That was a lot like Hamlet." Yeah. It was also. Disappointing. Oh, I was okay. quite I've seen disappointed. Mostly good reviews, but some I think some people have said that it that have been fairly lukewarm uh, yeah. towards it. I didn't have the same emotional investment. Mm. I was never bored, but it was a very simple story. Which again, nothing wrong with it, but it, it's been done before. It's not as fresh as it as it could be. Okay. And it start that you know you've seen Valhalla with Mads Mikkelsen. I haven't actually. No, it's exactly the same. Okay. Uh, you know it's. And you know there are great moments in it. There are really great moments. I don't okay. want to spoil it. I will watch. But um, it. I love Nicole Kidman. Mm. It's got a very um, impressive cast. Um, it, but it's more of an ensemble. Yeah. It, yeah. I was a bit disappointed with it. Okay, um, fair it reminded me a little bit of Lucifer Rising, the thing we mentioned, uh, the Kenneth Anger film we mentioned ages ago. There's a uh, okay. kind of um, volcano. Oh yeah, we watched that. Yeah. That's weird, weird, like... Oh, we did, yeah, weird, okay, weird, I forgot, weird, okay, yeah, yeah. Weird, yeah. like, sort of expressionist, um... A homoerotic Satan movie. Yes, it's, yeah, very weird. Okay, I will go, I will go see The Northman, for sure, um, but interesting that you weren't too sold on it. Yeah, the, everyone I've known seen it has kind of been, uh, Okay. I also saw Ambulance, the Michael Bay film. Oh, God. I fell asleep. Really? Um, yeah, <laughs> obnoxious. It actually got pretty... I've, I've not watched many Michael Bay films. I think I've seen the first... Transformers, probably, I think, which I've heard is the best one, and it was terrible. Um, <laughs> but it got barely for a Michael Bay film. It got okay reviews. It's a remake of a um, Danish movie. Uh, okay. Oh, that's it. So it's not his story. That's but it's movie. so obnoxious. You know, I ha- you know this term. You know, um, maybe you know it's only. I know it's only a movie, but toxic masculinity. Uh, okay. come to mind. You know, it's so larry well, and like man muscular. Yeah. Literally, it's pro-military. There is literally a scene where this guy is going. His life is ruined. And he's going, yeah, but the military really helped me. And then Jake Chiggins was there, you know, all pumped and ripped. And, you know, he's that kind of annoyingly 12-year-old crazy kind of, hey, hey, like, you know, it's annoying. He can be a bit, I, I love Jake Gyllenhaal, but sometimes he can um, overact, I think, oh, a little bit. And I'm yes. sure, yeah, he's... Um, it's loud, it's this. obnoxious, the shouty... It's just cool. It's just, just uh, annoying. It, it's, yeah, and there's a lot of drone shots, which I'm sure you've heard about. I have, yes, yes. actually, yeah. Okay. And then I saw Underwater. I don't know if I know that one. Uh, I saw it on Disney Plus, actually. Oh, okay. Um, Disney Plus, one of the films that we're talking about on this episode is on Disney Plus. This is actually yeah. a first, but we'll get to that. Disney Plus a has, has a lot uh, going on. Including WandaVision, which, which I've just finished. Oh, okay, that's also good. Okay, uh, what's Underwater? So Underwater is with Kirsten Stewart. Okay, Kirsten Stewart. Uh, Kurt, thank you. And yeah. Vincent Cassell, who uh, is terrible at this film. Oh, really? To the point I thought he was the villain. Okay. And turned out, actually, no, that's way too clever for the film. So it's, yeah. it's, the, it's basically The Abyss meets Slender Man. Okay, interesting. Um, it, that sounds, that sounds it was okay. pretty rubbish. Okay. It was pretty. It was pretty rubbish. There was some interesting. Mo- again, there were some cool characters and funny moments. But okay, okay, fair enough. So you don't sound too sold on any of those. You? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you have watched a lot of films, so that's at least something. Yeah, I didn't like any of them. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> several hours of your life you won't uh, you won't get back. Um, I've watched a couple of films recently, which um, both of which I think are very good. First one was Freaky, the um, Vince Vaughn oh, movie where right. he's a serial killer yeah. who tries to kill someone, and then it's Freaky Friday. They swap bodies. So it's from the director of Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day Two. I think we watched Happy Death Day together a while ago, yeah. and it was kind of okay. I watched Happy Death Day 2 maybe like a year ago or so, and it's absolutely fucking terrible. Okay. It's just <laughs> awful. Like, it's not a horror film for a start. They go in a completely different, like, weird sci-fi direction. But and, and it got pretty good reviews. I think it had, like, high percentage on Rotten Tomatoes. But I got towards the end, I was like, this is just awful. It makes absolutely no sense. So I went into Freaky... Because again, it's got good reviews, but I was like, I'm not going to have um, very high expectations for this. And horror comedies are often more in the comedy sure, sort of realm. Yeah. So yeah, I, I didn't go in with that uh, much. I wasn't expecting too much from it, but it had some really good horror kills. Like even in the first sort of ten minutes or so, there are some of the best and most creative horror kills that I've ever seen okay. in a movie. It, it does not pull its punches. It's really, really violent. Um, it's really, really funny as well. Vince Vaughn is fantastic in it. He is having a career renaissance, I think. He is. He at is. the moment, between that and um, Roland Silverlock, 99. And Dread Cause Concrete. Yeah, I like that. that, that no, I, but yeah, yeah, I think he, he was less, very good about but that. Yeah, he is good. Um, but yeah, so, yeah, freaky, total recommend. Okay, okay cool. Because okay, I, um, I was unsure. I saw the trailer and was like, this could be yeah, fun. Or, me too, yeah. Um, it could be... I thought this it could be okay, but you know it doesn't look amazing. But no, really, really good. Uh, I also watch Malignant. I haven't you? seen it uh, yet. Okay. Still haven't seen it. Right. Okay. Don't. I mean, this goes for every single horror film, every single film in general. Don't. But you want to go into it knowing absolutely nothing because okay. it is not what you think. Malignant. It's. I can't say anything more without spoiling it. But you think you know what you're watching, and then it turns into something. Completely different. Okay, and I love movies like that. Yeah, and it's James Wan who you know it's saw um, the uh, not the country. Is it the Conjuring? Yeah, done Conjuring. Yeah, yeah. He did the Conjuring and, and that, Insidious. Was it sh- like that Dolly film Shush or whatever? Anna. No, there was another one. Ha- not Hush. Silence. Dead, dead Silence. Dead Silence. Dead Silence. I haven't seen that. I haven't. But um, um, but yeah, he's done a. He's, he's made a lot of horror films. And Saw. Yeah, yeah, Saw. I said Saw. Oh, sorry, sorry. So yeah, he's made a lot of horror films. Some better than others. Mm. The, you know, the first Saw movie is, you know, is absolutely fantastic. I enjoy the others, but to varying degrees. I thought I don't know how many he's actually directed. Um, but no, this 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 is his. This is so good. Okay. Like, seriously, like it's just just watch it and um, go into it knowing nothing. It's it's. Unlike any film I've ever because I know he wrote it and he kind of pitched that as his big mm. magnum opus. I'd say it is, it yeah. Um, but so yeah, freaky and uh, malignant. Definitely recommends. Just before okay. <laughs> getting on a positive note, completely forgot about this. I have watched another two movies which I've now become completely obsessed with. Yeah, you ever heard of Jean Roland? No. Uh, he was a French like filmmaker. Okay, and I used to he he's so um film called uh, Requiem for a Vampire. Okay. Bloody Lips. Okay. Oh, uh, Blood on Lips, sorry. Blood on Lips. Very cool movies. They're like sort of erotic, um, sort of surrealist French vampire films. Oh, okay. Um, all filmed in like gothic castles, a lot of fog, um, a lot of bush, a lot of like... <laughs> but, but, but what's really cool, there's a real Lynchian quality to them. Okay. Um, lots of cool just shots of like skulls and crosses and, you know, tombstones and... Um, okay. But they had its own interior logic. It's very surreal. And like when I say like erotic, I heard a, a, an 
expression used going go erotic is using a feather and pornography is using the whole chicken. It's great because these movies effective. aren't like interested in the grotesque. It's more about the the sensual and the odd. Would highly recommend Requiem for a Vampire. Right, for yeah, Vampire. Uh, okay. Jen Rollins. Highly recommend it. Okay, good. Yeah. very very good. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue to the first film that we're talking about here. So in this episode, um, slightly different to our previous ones, we are doing horror films by non-horror film directors, and we are talking about Werner Herzog's. Nosferatu, The Vampire, and Danny Boyle's 28 Days Later. Indeed. So, when you, you said this was, this was your idea, this, this yeah. episode, when you pitched it, I was initially apprehensive, I think, because I think it's hard to define a, or, you know, what, what, make, what makes a horror film director and a non-horror film director? Because, you know, like most filmmakers have dabbled in various genres. It's rare that a filmmaker... Just you know, sticks to one uh, genre of film and makes nothing else. There are you know exceptions, obviously. Mm. You know, Richard Curtis is always going to make romantic comedies. There, there are directors who have done pretty much exclusively horror. So when I made a list of like horror film directors, who I think even if they haven't exclusively made horror films, they mostly made horror films and they're remembered mostly for their horror, for their horror films. So Wes Craven, for example, like I, sure. I, I you know, he's. He's only done one non-horror film. Okay. It was a like a portmanteau film, and it starred. I think his segment starred um, Mamma Mia. Uh, yeah, um, Mamma Mia. Your go-to Whatever else, one with the apes. Is that her? Um, Same with the the monkeys. I don't know. Okay, maybe. Sophie's Choice. Or um, I thought that that's what she's like. That she is isn't that, that um, Barbara Streisand. No. I'm thinking of Sophie Shaw, sorry. <laughs> Let's move on. So, yeah, Wes, Wes Craven, yeah. Sure, he's, yeah. yeah. He's made whatever the hell movie you're talking about. Uh, it's in but, French. But then he's, yeah, mostly made horror films. Uh, George Romero yeah. as well. Um, David Cronenberg, I think, as well, even though he has... <sighs> I don't know. Well, that's the thing. In recent years, he has made, he's made Maps of the Stars um, and a few other movies. History of Violence. History of Violence, even, yeah. um, Dangerous method, but to be fair, even yeah. so, to this so is when I think, and when, sorry, sorry, when I think Cronenberg, and I think when most people think Cronenberg, they're thinking of the fly, they're thinking of video drone to the point where like Cronenbergian mm. is is a term to essentially mean body horror. There's an episode of Rick and Morty where everyone starts mutating and they just, you know, they've just Rick and Morty just referred to them as Cronenberg, like you know, it's but it, that particular sort of style of body horror filmmaking has become. Synonymous with David Cronenberg. Uh, yes. Um, so this is why I kind of wanted to do this episode. Like, I think it's a great point. But it, I think post nineties, like early nineties for Cronenberg, he did actually less horror. So you know, even Crash, it's not yeah. really a horror film. And then he did M Butterfly, which is a relation, a uh, love story uh, that turns out that the woman is all oh, is a transgender woman. Okay. Um, and even existence and stuff. So like mm. for the past kind of twenty years, he's not really done. Yeah. Horror, but it's what he's known for. He's mm. made like that much yeah. of an impact, and I think that's what's really like kind of at the heart, or at least for me, like the idea of like this episode was to kind of like really like crystallize what the idea of like definitively a horror mm. filmmaker is. Yes, exactly. And we'll get onto it later, but it's funny when you see directors who are who come from horror. Mm. It, there's still a mark on all of their movies. There is a slight macabre, it's yeah. horror adjacent esque. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's almost like getting attacked or like joining the Yakuza or something. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. on, it's on them. Um, so I think it's maybe deeper than like a director for hire. 
It's yeah. like an aesthetic. You could almost call it, uh, even though I hate the term, auteur. Auteur. You, could, uh, you know, there is almost an auteur element to horror. Yes, I know what you mean, yeah. Um, to, to vary, you know, there, yeah, some, you do get big sort of um, studio horror films, I suppose. Um, like, for example, um, it wasn't studio, but like Bird Box, I guess, you know, which was... I quite like that. I know you like, but we'll, we'll talk about Bird Box one day. <laughs> Fucking hate that movie. It wasn't like, that didn't feel like an auteur piece. That, that, that did sure. feel like a film made for sort of commercial reasons. Director for hire kind of thing. Yeah, you know. director for hire. Again, I can't remember who... Um, made it but but yeah I, I totally I totally get what you're saying I think that's the same with a few genres I guess but I think horror mostly like you know there are other filmmakers who do one particular genre but most I'd say most filmmakers dabble um, a little bit and do sort of other stuff even if mm. you know they have one genre that they mostly stick to so Werner Herzog and Danny Boy you're more well versed in Werner Herzog than I am I've only actually, recently yeah I think you mentioned the last podcast you've been watching a lot of his movies, which presumably led you to suggest this um, film. So this film was, I think when you suggested it, you suggested a few films we talk about, including this one. And then 28 Days Later, I, I thought would be a good one to pair it with. So as I was saying, yeah, Herzog, he's made a lot of films. This, I think, is his only horror film. And Danny Boyle, 28 Days Later, yeah, he's, he's made... Sunshine is maybe the next sunshine closest is, thing. Yeah. But it's not really. But, you know, I, I think I'd say Sunshine is... There's a bit of horror, but it's... Mainly sci-fi. Mm. You know, he made Slumdog Millionaire and one Best Director. Trainspotting. He did yeah. Trainspotting, exactly. He's done a lot of different type of stuff, but 28 Days Later is his only straight horror film. And I'd say it's probably regarded as one of the best horror films it's, of the last, it's, probably of all time. It's actually probably the scariest one we've covered on this show, I, I think. Did, <laughs> yeah, I think you're right, actually. It's, I always forget how really fucking scary it is. And, of course, you know, it, it reinvented the... Zombie genre. This was the first film to have. We'll as far to as that. I know, we'll this that. is that is it, it did invent fast zombies. You know. No. We'll okay. get on to actually. Okay. Well, so we'll, well, no, we'll, we'll get, get on to that when we talk to. about that um, in depth. So yeah, definitely. These are definitely two examples of horror films made by non-horror film makers. Even though that um, a horror film maker is quite a. Uh, Hard to define. Well, this is kind of the idea. Hopefully, by the end of this episode, but we can get like some like uh, like a finite grasp yeah. on it. And these two films really highlight, I think, some of the, the not the pros and cons, but some of the evidence for an argument. Yeah. So, without further ado, should we get on to 1979's Nosferatu: The Vampire? Let's do it. sorts of evils. Spirits are set loose. People disappear without a trace. Last night, after a tiresome journey, I finally reached my destination, the castle of Count Dracula. Thank you. 
ship seems burdened with a curse. One sailor and our cook have disappeared without a trace. from 20th Century Fox. Nosferatu, the vampire, a film unlike any Dracula film ever made. Nosferatu, the vampire. So, Herzog set out to remake what he called the most important film Germany ever produced, mm. being the F. Murnau original Nosferatu. He wanted to merge the two styles of the silent film era with, at the time, for 1979, a modern lens. His style was documentary. You even see in his previous films, Aguero Wrath of God, there is still this documentary feel to it. Interesting, um, the only other Herzog film I have seen is Grizzly Man, which is a also a documentary. documentary. Yeah. Yes. It's very rare he does, like, especially at this point, film films, if you like. And you know, he even admits this is probably his only genre movie. His idea was to merge both styles of film to create more of an emotional feeling and replication and almost a thank you to basically the film that kick-started a horror movie. Yeah, really. it is the, it's the original horror film, isn't it? Yeah. Nosferatu, um, the 1922 Nosferatu. So I watched, both, I watched that a, a few days ago as a sort of frame of reference um, after watching Herzog's version and you know, it's a, a, a hundred years old you know this it's an incredibly old film and people who haven't watched it and I feel like not many people probably you know from our generation at least a lot of people won't have watched this movie there are a couple of shots which are so iconic and people who are not even remotely interested in film I think will probably have seen images of um, of, of not of the titular character sort of shots of um, the use of shadow in that mm. film. Him, his shadow rising the staircase. That, that's one of the most iconic shots in film. Even when he, you know, comes through the hallway. Mm. Even when he's uh, Count Olaf. Yes. Oh, Olak. Count Olak, I think. Uh, Count Olaf from, with the hat. Yeah. I'm probably going to use this word a lot in this episode. It's, it's a pockle. Okay. It's, it's like a stamp, you know, it's an image that is so powerful. Mm. And maybe I, you know, I like the, those images, but there's a real power, like a real sort of almost like um, elemental power to those images mm. and those scenes, you know, they're uh, so iconic and they represent so much, you know, even now, I think this is part of the interesting thing, maybe I'm getting slightly ahead of it, but obviously this film was made, or the original was made a hundred years ago. There's no way no one knew how that film was going to be. I mean, oh, no. the copies yeah. were burned, you know, no one knew the film yes. was actually going to survive. So context for that film, it is, it's an unofficial and unauthorised adaption of Bram Stoker's Dracula. The, the even title card at the beginning saying based on mm. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, and after it came out, um, even though it's, it, 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 it does vary quite a lot, um, particularly the ending is um, completely different to, um, the, the ending of both of the movies is completely different to the ending of Dracula, and they leave out a few characters. It's like a very stripped-down version, yeah. I'd say. But Bram Stoker's widow, after it came out, um, sued the sued, sued the filmmaker and won, and the court ordered for all the films to actually be destroyed. Mm. And a few managed to survive, hence we still have access to the film today. On YouTube. 
On YouTube and Shudder. Yes. It's, it's, yeah, it's public domain. And, and, and Dracula, the book, is, is also now in the public domain. And yes, it, it is. It, it yeah, gets it is. adapted every other year, it seems. Yeah, give it a rest. Yes, enough. we've seen enough. <laughs> Nicholas Cage is playing Dracula yes, now, apparently. Yes, in um, <laughs> Renfield. Okay. Um, you know what? I'm actually I'm looking forward to that. I wanted to go Nick full Cage Nick Cage. He probably won't. But I feel it, like he won't. He's, he's, doing some, he's doing different things now. He's, did you see Pig? Not yet. Mentioned it Not yet. I need to watch it. Ago, but he's fantastic. But I really want to see Unbearable Weight of a Massive Talent, whoever it is. Oh, is that one he's playing himself? Yeah, it came out yesterday. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I can't believe he's following Pierre. David Gordon Green's best. in it. Uh, okay. And yeah. Debbie Moore playing uh, herself. Okay, interesting. Apparently, it's actually very good. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, we're getting excited. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, so, this was the second collaboration with Herzog and Klaus Kingski. So the film opens uh, instantly with this recognisable Herzog documentary-style cinematography. Almost reminds me of Luca Guadagnino, where it's mm. um, it's not as polished, but it has this fly-on-the-wall... feels real. Yeah, um, I know what you mean, actually, yeah. You know, and they're, 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 you know, these poetic images in just the very basic of technique. So the film opens with these mummified corpses. Yeah. With, with this fantastic music. Mm, the score is really good in this film. Then this, again, epochal image of a mm. bat. And you yes. don't even... you'd. It's such a, um, it basically complicates the entire mode of address because it has a surrealist element um, mm-hmm. and instead of pointing to the audience going, okay, Dracula's tomb here, here's some victims, it literally yeah. shows you with images of death yes. and then a bat and yes. it's working on this subconscious level which yeah. means it's, it's a Showing, not telling and, and then... But in a sense doing both. Yeah, you know? and then after that it cuts to the um, protagonists of the film and the first thing you see is kittens. And um, Isabella Ojano in dressed all in white. Who know? may I say I wish I looked like her? Yeah, she has just what a wonderfully naturally gothic look to her. She does. You know, literally Perfectly she wakes goth. up screaming again instantly. When that, that first scene where she wakes up and then that light on them, total um, German expression. Yeah, just in color. Yeah, you know, shadows and lights. I think the film immediately contrasts, even though we don't see. Um, Nosferatu until half hour or so. It's a while, yeah. yeah. The plot is he, um, his boss says, um, Counts, what's his character's name? I think he is called Dracula in this. Oh, he is called Dracula in this. Yes, he is called Dracula. In Nosferatu 2022, um, he's called. 1922. 1922. What did I say? 2022. Though, Will of the Foe is now. Robert Eggers' next movie is a remake of this film. Uh, I remember him saying he wanted to adapt this a while ago, yeah. Uh, Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. Well, Willem Dafoe actually played uh, Matt Shrek in a film called Shadow of the Vampire. Shadow of the Vampire, yeah. With Julian Sands? No, it's not Julian Sands. I can't remember. Somebody. I've not seen it. I'm just aware that um, Willem Dafoe, who I think we're now obliged to mention at least once every single podcast episode, of course. Um, yeah, plays uh, Matt Shrek in a, in a film about the making of the uh, 1922 version. Yeah. But yes, in this, he's, yeah, he's, Dracula does not show up, same with the book, until about 40 minutes into the film when um, Jonathan Harker meets him for the first time. So he the plot is Jonathan Harker is a real estate guy. Played by Bruno Gatz. Yes, Bruno Bruno Gatz, who everyone will know from the film Wings of Desire. Well no, I was gonna say Downfall when he plays Oh that as well. And even if you haven't seen that, I haven't actually seen that film, but everyone will see the, the YouTube clip where it's Hitler freaking out about something and they put various subtitles so you know he's freaking out about I don't know like Xbox. Know, Xbox, Xbox that yeah, yeah like you know loads of loads of things. Everyone's seen that meme. Um, so yeah, Bruno Gantt, he's pretty, very good in this film. Um, he's told by his boss that Count Dracula wants to buy a house in this German, uh, little German town that they live. You need to go to uh, Romania, you go to Transylvania um, to meet him and sign some papers. So the first part of the movie is him 
going over there and he gets to Romania, he gets to a sort of like a, a cabin, a sort of um, a hotel or whatever. He says, oh, I'm going to go see Count Dracula and everyone just stops. You can't go see Dracula. No, no, men, men have been there, you know, they, they, they never return. You know, everyone's terrified. Places of ghouls. Yes, yes, everyone is terrified. And then eventually, yeah, 20 minutes into the film, we, we, we get there and yeah, um, the protagonist, Harker, meets Count Dracula or Nosferatu or whatever you want to call him, and he's a creepy motherfucker. Arguably, I think maybe the scariest Dracula still. Yeah. Um, I think so, because in, in a lot of adaptions, especially recently, and somewhat in uh, in the book as well, Dracula's presented as being, you know, as, as very handsome and, you know, like, uh, s- seductive, as, you know, as part of the, obviously all the metaphor and um, symbolism in the book about, you know, the, the sucking blood as a sort of a, a sexual act. Um, in this, that is not the case. He is a, does not look like a human being. In, in both versions, he is... Well, he's uncanny. There are yeah. elements of it. And I don't know if you want to get onto it now, but this is what I think really separates Herzog's version. Out of all the Dracula movies, it isn't interested so much in, what's the word, ideal version of beauty. Mm. It's, you know, he's quite a sad, tortured... Yeah. Character. Yeah. Um, I think it's obvious that you know, Dracula is immortal. And he's been, I can't remember if he specifies how long he's been alive for. Well, there's this fantastic Shakespearean uh, dialogue when they first meet and have dinner. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, you know, time is an abyss of darkness. That's it, yeah. And you, you can just tell, you know, he, he, you know, there are things worse than death, you know. Immortality is a curse. Immortality I is a curse. I can't imagine how terrible it would be to live forever. It's a terrifying idea. Yeah. And the vampirism in this is almost treated as a disease. We'll get onto yeah. that later. Yes. But um, I think, you know, one of the scariest scenes in the film is when they first sit down and have dinner. Cuts his finger. Cuts his finger. Yeah. But through that entire scene, Klaus Kinski just stares mm. at his guy and doesn't blink. And it's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And it looks stunning, you know, the kind of arch, tilted cinematography. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Harker then wakes up to a castle completely um, just abandoned. Yes. In the meantime, uh, back in... Is it Amsterdam? It's set. It's Germany. Oh, is it Germany? Okay. Germany, yeah. um, Lucy uh, starts to believe that there is something sinister afoot. Yeah, she has a sort of... So, yeah, uh, Jonathan Harker's wife, Lucy, even before she leaves, yeah, like you said, she, uh, in the beginning, sort of has a nightmare and wakes up. Which is the opening scene, I Yes, think. and it's before we see all the mummies and the uh, mummified corpses. And oh, the that's the beginning. Bats. Yeah. That's the very beginning. And that's then, the very beginning, and then she wakes up, yeah. and I think implies that, that, that that's what she's dreaming There's about, a telepathy. I I, they have a connection, don't they? Yeah. And in the book as well... That is something that happens sort of throughout, the, like later on in the book, that um, the Lucy character has a sort of um, psychic connection with Dracula because he's bitten her because he essentially makes her into a vampire. In this, this happens from the go that she has some sort of connection. She knows something's bad. He you know, she she tells her husband not to go. Something says something bad's going to happen from the beginning. Yeah, she has this sort of connection. With Dracula. Um, so after discovering he's been bitten, having another conversation with Dracula in the evening, where he explains his, his impediment, if you like, his curse, what we were talking about earlier. But I think that's really like at the heart of this film, where it, it is. I, th- I think I've written like um, melancholic, uh, somber aspect of the vampire legend. Mm. It's just sad. It's it's almost kind of yeah. pathetic. You know, he's very yeah. He's sort of weak and vulnerable. Weak. He's very and, weak. Yeah, but he prays. Still, there is that element yeah. of like it's not even sadism, but almost like you know the, 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 this animal that's just been backed into a corner, yeah. and he can only attack Jonathan when you know he's in bed, and he can only slowly yeah. go up to her. Which is so scary. That scene. Thank you. It's that's really really scary. Because it just kind of because the editing is very mm. harsh in this film, and then it cuts to you know a scene where she. She's in bed, she's, you know, seeing 
looking out the window, and then it cuts straight to that where he's just sitting there. Slow, yeah. And you don't, there's no dialogue, but you know instantly yeah. that she's aware. And then when she screamed and he looks up at the camera, mm. incredible. Like, yeah. incredible. So after he, uh, he has a little dine on Bruno Gatti's character, uh, Nosferatu, Dracula gets himself into a coffin. He does. And then takes himself off onto a boat. Yes. Well, unbeknownst, the, the sailors take a, <laughs> a collection of coffins onto yeah. a boat. He gets on the boat, he, he hides in a coffin, these coffins are um, being loaded onto the boat. With rats. Along with lots of rats. Lots of rats. Which is, a, that's another big difference from the book. It's been a while since I've read the book, but I, as far as I can remember, there's nothing about the no. plague no. in that. And that is, that's something that the... It's a very plague, German interpretation yeah. as well. Um, but I like why well, that's obviously in the 22 version and it's sort of expanded upon here, but yet it again reinforces this idea of him being a force of like death mm-hmm. and decay. But literally, he's literally bringing the plague along you know with him but it doesn't even feel malicious you know what i mean it almost feels like this is just expected you know what i mean yeah. he just brings like a dementor yeah he, he, he doesn't even really want to you know yeah. i don't even get the impression he particularly likes the rat this is true he seems very unhappy the yeah like yeah why is he doing this he just kind of has to i guess well because i mean i mean i'm assuming because he you know he's, he is after a bride but not in mm. the kind of over romanticized version. It's quite the opposite. I think he just wants a companion. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the very like, your wife has a beautiful throat mm, and all of yeah. this. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, none of this is really explained in the film, but you go along with it. Yeah. And that's where the surrealist, mm. but again, mixing the German expression aspect where there's no dialogue, but you know, you know what's going on. Yeah. Um, just through images. Uh, so yeah, it brings the plague yes. back to Germany with him. Yeah, and the so town, everyone on the boat, by the time the boat arrives, everyone on there is just dead. a body hanging on the yeah. wheel. Yeah, and then the, when, when the boat gets to Germany, um, people get on and go, why is everyone dead? Blah, blah, blah. And then he eventually emerges um, from the coffin. Which is a great scene board. where he's running, yeah. running the coffins in. Uh, and then he sees a cross on the wall and he's like, yes. oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the only moment of humour in that. And it's yeah. such a humanising moment for... Yeah. Dracula. He's a tragic villain, yeah. you know, in the way that he's not really presented as such um, in the book or in most. He's archetypally a gothic, yeah. you know, yeah. antagonist. You know, he's tortured yeah. and not necessarily evil. No, um, then you don't really get that impression. It's, it's like you say; it's almost like he doesn't have a choice in mm. doing this. And he seems, yeah, he's not in, he's not taking any pleasure in anything he's doing. It's Klaus Kinsey manages to portray all of that in you know with almost no dialogue all through his sort of in, in this fantastic performance. Again, under like prosthetics and stuff, it's very hard to do, and he nails it. You you hear him just through his eyes. Incredible. Yeah, um, almost um, like Eastwood, an Eastwood style. You know, just these eyes. You know, somber eyes. So, basically, the town that they live in starts to fall apart, which incidentally, I've actually been to where they filmed that. Okay. Uh, it's in Brussels. Uh, okay. It's actually in Brussels. Uh, okay, fair enough. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a scene where he walks around the town square. Yes. Um, it's, it's all in Brussels. Okay, it looks like a gorgeous uh, city. Yeah. Is it the same place they shot the 22 version? Because it looks like... I it looks very similar. I don't know. I uh, actually okay. don't know. It's it's probably not. But, um, certain scenes of it do, yeah, I agree. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so Dracula brings all of his coffins so he can, like, hide in the cemetery and just... Yes. Basically, I guess, start to stalk Lucy, mm. um, who he appears to her in this great scene where she's combing her hair. Yeah. And the door opens. Mm. And you don't see him coming, obviously, because vampires don't have reflection. Yeah, but he just yeah. appears in the corner of the screen. Yeah. But she's not horrified. She, I mean, she's, mm. she's terrified, but she isn't horrified. She yeah. doesn't fight him away she's almost intrigued she almost instantly understands yeah. because they've shared these dreams and this kind yeah. of like psychic connection 
which again isn't really explained in it, but it, it which adds to the mystery of the film. And I, I hate this, I hate using this phrase too much, but the dreamlike quality yes. to the film, fever dream, like fever dream. Yes, um, it does feel like a fever dream, a nightmare. Dracula gets the boat across from Transylvania to Germany. Um, Jonathan Harker, Bruno Gantz's character, at the same time is going by land. He's trying to get back to try and stop Dracula. All the time succumbing more to the vampire's curse. Um, and when he eventually arrives, a lot of people have been dying by the plague. Uh, Nosferatu has been doing vampire stuff. Um, by Isabella Johnny's been telling everybody, but no. I love that scene where, like, you know, the town's dancing and they're having, like, the final supper. There's yes. a lot of religious allegories. Mm -hmm. He's going, I know who's doing this. Yeah. And no one's listening to her. No, yeah. Um, uh, that's such a yeah. great sequence. Again, no dialogue, mm. but it's just quite chaotic that whole yeah. scene. So Bruno Gatti's character comes back, and he doesn't remember her. Pale and weak. Um, doctors aren't quite sure. I think, but doesn't the Van Helsing character say blood loss? Yeah, or something. So they know that something's going on. But yeah, he doesn't remember his wife. Then goes to sleep. He's you know like sort of on bed rest for the rest of the film, and more people are dying. And she realises that the only way, after reading some uh, literature, she realises that the only way to stop Dracula, essentially, to, to let him like fe feed on her and so he doesn't hear the cock crow. That's the, that's the vampire thing. They have to be asleep and in a coffin before sunrise mm. or they die. Uh, and that's what she does. She sacrifices herself, essentially, so that he will die and, and try to save her husband and the few remaining people of this town. Uh, Van Helsing then goes up, who's, you know, people don't know Dracula that well, is, is uh, sort of the archetypal vampire hunter in Bram Stoker's novel. There's a few, the, the ending to Bram Stoker's one is quite different. They go, it sort of sees them going back to Transylvania, following and Dracula and killing and, him. And, and, killing and him. his yeah. brides. Yes, yeah, that's, he's got some brides in his, in his castle, which um, don't feature in even the He's bit. not a player. This guy doesn't want endless... You know, brides. He just wants someone to just hold hand. Yeah, I guess he's just lonely, right? He's lonely. Yeah. Even in that scene where she sacrifices herself, usually there's a bit of an erotic tone to it. Yeah. He almost, in a sense, sexually assaults her. Yeah. Where oh, he, yeah. He, he he grabs her crotch, mm. and even when he's making a move, it is it's so angled and so unhuman and so uncouth mm. that he's just he's literally a dinosaur he's just become this 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 animal yeah uh, and that's a really subtle but really important change up to the story and says so much about his character mm. um, and so much about the film because this film was made in 1979 mm. it's quite restrained the film isn't interested i don't think so much in the grotesque but more so yeah. about the atmosphere mm. um yeah i mean there's no violence it, in this film. you can almost feel like because we were saying that it's a little slow or you would say, uh, yes. um, the pacing is, but I feel instead of slow, it's it's just restrained. It's just this really mm. tight, finely tuned film that it, it's actively not falling into the cliche of just another remake of a vampire film. Let's yeah. just get more blood and tits in it. Yes. But sorry, I digress. So yeah, the ending, it's Van Helsing goes up, he finds both, no, he finds Dracula and Lucy Harker both dead. He puts a stake through Dracula's heart to just, you know, reinforce the fact that, you know, make sure he, he's definitely, definitely dead. Then he gets downstairs, the police come and arrest him for, for murder, essentially. And the twist is that at this point, Jonathan Harker, Renegade's character, gets up, says, you know, arrest this man, he's just, he's, he's killed someone upstairs. At this point, he is now a vampire, he is essentially, and then goes on to carry on the legacy of Count Dracula. And the, the last, last shot is him riding off, um, on a horse. presumably back to Transylvania, on a horse, yeah. Which is, you know, in, in Dracula, in the book, and in the 
1922 version, and in most versions, it's a happy ending when Dracula dies. And in this, even though Dracula does die, the, the twist is that, yeah, um, it lives on, the, the Dracula curse, the vampire curse lives on in, um, in our protagonist, in Jonathan Harper. Yeah, almost the virus lives on, the curse yeah. lives on. Yes, what did you think? I did like this film, yeah. I thought it was, like you say, it was maybe a little bit slow at times. I felt, I think the, the first sort of like, the bits in the castle I think are absolutely fantastic and some really effective horror. I really liked all the performances, but I think particularly Klaus Kinski that manages to, to convey a lot of emotions through very subtle, like sort of, you know, body language and um, facial expressions and with very little dialogue. And just, you know, it's, just, it's a really scary performance, even if it is quite, you know, like you said, pathetic and vulnerable and, and sad. He, you know, the way, the way he stands, the way he moves, everything is so unnatural and uncanny. And I think that, that, that you know, that is really scary. And that is really, really good. And uh, yeah, it's very well made. It's very well directed. I like the ending, the sort of the twist ending. But yeah, I just felt it was maybe a little bit slow at times. And I mean, it's like just under two hours yeah. or so, like hour 45 minutes or so. But I think parts of it did feel a little long. But I know that you this made it onto your, this tied with the 22, uh, 1922 version, tied with your, in your top five horror film list, which we talked about. In our first podcast. This film is pure filmmaking. What does that mean? So it's images. Uh, okay, they, they, yeah. You don't have someone yeah, kind of okay, explaining so you mean, to you yeah. this. Yeah, you just it's know. visual storytelling. Yeah. Which I guess, you know, it's homage to silent cinema. So, yeah. you know, the 22 version. It's all, you know, there are title, there's type, words come up on the screen and stuff in a really annoying font that I struggle to read half the time. It is quite, and it goes yeah. quite quickly as well. Yeah, uh, but it, yeah, it's a silent film, so it relies on visual storytelling, As and this film, you know, it, it does the same thing. While at the same time reinventing it, because it's not a direct remake, and it does play around no, yeah. with it's very, the same it's set very, Apart from the ending, it is, the plot is very similar, even if, even if it does flesh out some other characters and... Um, it's sort of almost like a combination of the um, 1922 version and um, Stoker's original novel. It brings a, more of the characters from that, um, but does follow the same plots as uh, the 22 version. Yeah, yeah. While adding this kind of Herzog, almost existential vampire mythology, uh, yeah. you know, where, where he's talking, you know, these grand Shakespearean moments of dialogue. Yeah. Um, that are just really highlighting how just miserable it is to be a vampire. But yeah, I think these images are representative of like a deeper, well, not even psychology, just like, yeah, deeper subconscious of, you know, images of bats, these yeah. epochal images of bats, crucifixes, everything has this dark blue gothic tinge to it. Mm. It's horror. When you have a director who doesn't do horror and then, mm. then they do horror, it almost... I don't mean this in a, in a bad sense. It almost feels like a technical exercise. Yeah. Where, like, can I do this? Can I do yeah. this? And here's how I've read to achieve moments. You know, a horror film should make people uncomfortable. Okay, let's just make it really uncomfortable. Yeah. Within slightly higher grabbing ways than just kind of showing Dracula mm. biting someone's neck off and having, you know, his brides have, you know, all their yeah. beams out and what have you. It's, it's not interested in mm. that. It's almost a double-edged sword, but it feels like they have something to prove in a technical sense. Yeah. And they have a almost a textbook layer of how to make things. Yeah. But also will bring, you know, some horror filmmakers, Dario Argento, for example, mm. almost are too now lazy. They're too comfortable. They're, oh, it's just film something really shoddily, and it's fine because I'm a horror filmmaker. Yeah. It doesn't matter. There's almost, it feels like, yeah, there's a style that needs to be 
achieved. Yeah, and just like you say, like, you know, a, a general sort of feeling. You know, feeling. This film is about feelings. Yeah, and, and, and it needs, uh, fundamentally needs to be scary in some way in this, yeah, in this film. This film is has an ominous feeling, and there are a couple of scenes which are really really scary. You sort of talk about um, non horror film makers who make a horror film like as a box check or to sort of prove that they can. A lot of the time, it might not be successful. But they, if if a if a filmmaker is, it just feels like the tone of this. The horror shouldn't come first, really. It's sort of like if they want to make like you know he wanted to adapt. The 1922 version because of you know because he liked it and because it was silent you know it's his sort of love letter to silent cinema i guess you could say sure i don't know i feel i feel actually like uh, the horror is important but yeah. it, it's represented in a different manner to say someone who is accustomed uh, say a horror filmmaker who's accustomed yeah. to it stanley kubrick made the shining yes you, they, you, well you did suggest the shining for this episode potentially and then that and the uh Bergman film, yeah. uh, Wolf. And then I thought, like, I wouldn't call Bergman or Kubrick non-horror filmmakers, even if those film, the films you suggested are their only proper horror film. There are plenty of... I, I don't know much Why about Why wouldn't Bergman. you? I, I think it's well, like... I mean, I don't know much about Bergman. I've only, I've seen, I've only film I've seen by his is Persona. I've seen more Kubrick films, but even Kubrick's non-horror films, like um, A Clockwork Orange or uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, mm-hmm. they have moments in them that are really, really scary and sort of use, particularly uh, 2001, that use sort of um, horror filmmaking stylistic choices, I suppose. You know, there's an unsettling sort of... Okay. Scare, you know, okay. 2001, both films are scary. So would you say it's a technique then? Yeah. A horror think, yeah. Is, is, is a filmmaker's, like, yeah. tool palette. Yeah, okay. and the same with, like, well, we'll get to the 28 Days Later in a bit, but, you know, it's just, you know, that feels like a Danny... It's, even though it's, he's not made any other straight horror films, that film still feels like a Danny Boyle sort of film. You know, I think you can you could watch a few of his films, and including 28 Days Later, and all have similar kind of styles of directing. The auteur thing. I'd say. Yes, exactly, yeah. With that segue, should we now talk about... Last thing. Okay. Some really strange, funny moments in that, in Nosferatu. Okay. The whole bit where... His boss. His, the, his, the, the Renfield. The, his yes, Renfield, yeah, the... Um, Dracula's sort of servant, yeah. you know, he, he, he's so fucking crazy. And the kid with the violin, yeah, that's weird. strange. And then when he gets the maid to clear up the salt, that's yeah. keeping him in. He's like, "Can you clear this myself?" Yeah, very funny, very important film. I think it, it, it it's a film that has a real power mm. through the images, and Herzog really dived in on that and, and yeah. knew exactly what he was doing. Um, yes, great film. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I, I like it as well. Not maybe not quite as much as you, but yes, I, I do think it's a really really good film, and I'm glad I watched it. Good. Talked about uh, Nosferatu Vampire, our first horror film by a non-horror filmmaker. Next, we're jumping forward a few decades. Quite a year. 2000. This film just turned 20 this year, actually. Really? But, you know, you're older than I always think.
So who are you? Wake up today in hospital. Wake up and I'm, I'm hallucinating. I've got some bad news. They're infected. Infected. Bottom. Infected with what? Oh, I shouldn't have done that. The blood. There's something in the blood. You never go anywhere alone unless you've got no choice. Hello? Less than two. Only travel during daylight unless you've got no choice. See, this is a really shit idea. You know why? This is obviously a shit idea. We have to leave now. More will be coming. I always do. I feel like a lot of people have... This is a very popular and famous film, as I said earlier, it did reinvent the zombie, the, the, the zombie genre in that it has fast running zombies. Not you're the not, first. You're not going to tell me this is not the first. You're okay. very right, sir. Okay, so what's the I first? feel, what's worse, I feel we might have actually seen that film. Umberto Lenzi's Nightmare City. Uh, okay, Italian. Italian, of course. Well, remember when we were at uni, yeah. and I would disappear to HMV and come back with loads of movies. You remember I bought a Blu-ray, a film called Nightmare City. And it cost me like £10. Never seen an Umberto Lenzi movie before. He's yeah. a terrible filmmaker. The only good film we did was Cannibal Ferox. Anyway, um, it's got the real Hugo Stiglitz. You know, um, uh, okay. Glorious Bastards. Yeah. So the real Hugo Stiglitz basically plays this reporter and then this uh, aeroplane lands. So that Tarantino, that Tarantino character, that's Tarantino nodding to... Umberto Lenzi. Okay. And probably Nightmare City. He does that. Okay. Um, and this film came out in... 80, 1980. 1980. Okay. Well, 1982 maybe... Around that time, okay. um, it's awful. It's okay. one of the. It's one of those. It's so bad, it's good. Okay. Uh, and the ending's terrible, really annoying. But okay. th that was the first film where zombies run. And Umberto Lenzi was really annoyed. People called it a zombie film, and he called it an infected people movie. Okay. Well, we'll get to the whole like infected zombie kind of thing when you could say. And that's the real stylistic difference because I would say it's not really a zombie film. This. Yes. Twenty eight days later. Yeah. Okay. It is a zombie film. The dead aren't rising. It's definitely a zombie film. They're, they're, they're okay. Infected. Okay. Well, okay. Let's. We'll. we'll, we'll so the, that the, the opening to this film is the the start of a zombie apocalypse, essentially. So it's animal. The, the very first shot actually is loads and loads of we see violence mm. on TV, um, and then like you know just terrible stuff happening around the world. People killing each other. The camera pans out, and it's a, a monkey strapped down to a table in a lab watching this footage. Kind of upsetting, actually. It is very upsetting, um, and I think that, that introduces this, a theme which we'll talk about more later, about violence being innate, almost, in humans, okay. and the fact that, you know, even though this is a zombie apocalypse and people are killing each other, this is nothing new, and people have been doing that since the dawn of time. But we'll talk a bit more about that in a bit. Um, in this lab, um, some animal rights uh, people break in. There's a scientist there, and a sci they, they want to free these monkeys, essentially. Um, and the scientist said, "You can't free them. You can't free them. That we've infected them with rage. You, they're extremely dangerous. You know, you don't, you don't know what you're doing. Blah blah blah." They set the monkey free, and immediately, immediately this woman is uh, attacked by this ape, and then immediately infected. I think it's that's one of the things. Like I, twenty to thirty seconds. I yeah, think. that's what I, I forgot a bit about like how it just it's like instant. Mm. You know how um, quickly people become infected in this film, which really adds to the manic terror of the movie. So. She's infected, she then attacks a scientist, and then, boom, 
28 days later. Which is great. I forgot yeah. how they did that. The title card, the title card but it's almost also, a transition yeah. as well. Yeah, that's very I good. I think that was good, yeah. Um, and then we cut to Killian Murphy. Stark bollock naked. You see a lot of Killian Murphy's dick and ass in this movie, yeah. I like that shot because he it was almost like he was almost Christ-like yes. in that shot where he's just sort of, but Christ has fallen. Yes. And I think it's interesting because there is, because well, we'll get to it when he punches the priest. Yes. And he feels really bad for that. Yeah. And I'm not sure how much of a religious allegory there is. But there's actually a fair bit in here, I think. Okay. Um, sort of religious allegory and a general like people's relationship um, with religion. So yeah, Gillian Murphy wakes up 28 days after the start of the apocalypse. So he gets in the hospital. No one's in the hospital. There's this you know brilliant, sort of famous, and eerie shot of him walking oh. around London when there's absolutely no one there. Very it's fantastic. And I wonder if you could have even... I think they shot it at like... Five or six, five or in, the six morning. in the morning. Over a few days to make sure... They... And now being 25... Well, 26 and you being 25? Uh, 25, yes. 25. You now know what London at six o'clock in the morning looks like. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, after a long night out walking around just, you know, feeling like Killian Murphy. Yeah. I do wonder if they could have actually done that shot they if did. they made it today. They did. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. They, they probably could, but I think that would have been so hard to do to get these shots of Big Ben and, you know, um, London Bridge and all these really famous landmarks of London to make sure that there was absolutely no one there. I wonder if that, that, that must have been so difficult to um, actually pull off. Um, so, yeah, he's walking around, um, eventually gets to a church. And I did think that was interesting that the first place he goes to, mm. really, when he doesn't know what the fuck's going on, he goes to a church, and where would you like? Where would you go? So I was, thought that um, if, if you woke up in hospital and no one there, well, I don't know where I'd go. The Winchester. The Winchester. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have a nice point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's a good answer. Um, but yeah. that scene where he goes first to the church, and it's like the the end is extremely fucking nice. nice. But you right. first read it as nine, okay, and you go. Fuck, extremely hard. Fucking. And then it's like, okay, there's a British sense of humour running through this. Yeah, that, that, that did make me chuckle. Incidentally, I completely forgot about Alex Garland wrote this film. Did he? Um, I did, yeah. okay, alright. Who obviously then went on to do Ex Machina yes. and Annihilation, which I think is... Oh, great. Annihilation's great. One of the most underrated great films. Movie. One of the great horror films of the last sort of... Um, the best Lovecraft. Yeah, and I don't usually don't like Lovecraftian stuff, but I think Annihilation is a masterpiece, yeah. so we should talk about it on the podcast one day. Um, so yeah, he goes to church, he's, he still has no idea what's going on, he, he sees a lot of people, he assumes, sleeping or dead. He says hello, they, they, a few people like get up and, and look at him, and then this priest runs towards him. He then hits, hits him with a shopping bag. Hits him with a shopping bag full of like, uh, cans of Coca-Cola. A lot of product pizza. placement in this film. I counted so much. There's oh, really? Starbucks, Tango, oh, Pepsi. Yeah, yeah um, you are right, actually. There's a lot. There's a lot but, of... Uh, but the thing I always say about product placement, if I don't notice it, then that means the film is doing its job and so, the, the, the film is entertaining me because okay. you're right thinking back now they I remember Naomi Harris saying oh you want some Pepsi or do you want a tango you're, well, you're right that's like it felt like an advert within the film side like, well all else has failed you can still rely on a tango and Pepsi yeah. kind of thing. do you know what I mean it feels yeah. yeah but sorry but uh, yeah so he hits the priest and then immediately apologises for it um, he's then running away from more zombies at this point he meets two more characters who are you know who know what's going on who save him blow up a petrol station. It's quite um, good. Yeah, uh, but that shop was very, very expensive. Yes. <laughs> um, and then they explain that it's basically the end of the world, that there is a virus that has infected people um, and is supposedly it's the end of the world. I did think at this point, even though the film does address this later, if the virus literally takes 10 to 20 seconds to 
infect you? I don't. How did it? Because they say it's in Paris and New York. Yeah. I don't understand how it could have if it travels that quickly. Like you know, if it's something like COVID, which you know takes a while before you realise you have it. Of course, that's going to spread throughout the whole world. But if something is instantaneous. I keep clicking and saying instantaneous. Um, <laughs> if something happens that fast, then I don't understand how you could like not realise you have it and spread it across seas. But they do address that later. It is questionable whether or not this is just in the UK. Yes. Or, yeah. Because obviously no one knows. You know. The, well, the, all the phone lines, are, there's yeah. no TV, there's no broadcast. And you're just with these characters yeah. and they don't know. Yeah. So they can kind of speculate yeah. and they don't have to explain the real ins and outs of how the virus. Yeah. But I do know what you mean. Yeah, um, but yeah, so they explain to Liam Murphy what's going on. Um, but he, he can't accept it initially. It's like, you know, of course, like there's always a government, you know. Yeah, well, what about the government? Yeah. Yeah. And then they only says, no, there is nothing left. Like, you know, you're the first, you're the first person alive six that days. we've seen in six days. And okay, I think this is a good point to address the infected versus zombie argument. Okay. So in like Night of the Living Dead, like one of the original zombie films, that features, um, I guess, traditional zombies who are raising from the grave and you know reasons that you know when there's no more room in hell the dead will walk the earth you know then it's not like a virus or something it is to people who are dead coming back to life and in this film and in most zombie movies or tv shows since then zombies quote-unquote zombies that we see are infected with some kind of virus which which makes them attack other human beings feast on human flesh or whatever whereas older zombie movies yeah they're raised from the dead they usually want brains i don't know i don't know where that exactly i know it's i think it's from so the traditional like hate and voodoo yeah so some of the original uh, zombie movies were things like i walked with a zombie which mm. traditionally more dealt with voodoo I think that's what that's more the, notion that's of like knowledge is kind of met, uh, like metaphorical, yeah. arguably metaphysical as well. Yeah, uh, but you know it's now obviously more of just a you know brain. Yeah, but I think that's where traditionally it comes okay. from. Okay, so that is the traditional sort of zombies, and these days it's usually a virus, and there is this argument which is this a zombie movie or are they just infected by people? Yes, and at the end of the day, I think it doesn't matter because there's the yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter, but so, and I still yeah. I still don't think they're zombies though traditionally. Yeah, I guess I guess, but it's still I think the like you know the only movie. one is the Dawn of the Dead remake yeah. where they run and are like mm. the dead coming back to life. Yes, that's true, and obviously that's that's an adaptation of the um Romero old, of the Romero movie when that before the infected zombies yeah. were a thing. Incidentally, Dawn of the Dead borrows so much from this movie and obviously the fast zombies and things but also erratic editing and stuff and the fast paced like vibe of the film well I will get to it in a bit I thought there were some real like kind of cool like inflections and references to the Romero movies as well in yeah. this film uh, which we can get to later hmm. so after being told that the world's gone to shit yeah Killian Murphy actually I think quite humanly does wants to go and find out yeah. where his parents are they wait the evening because they kind of set out the rules of the film that they can only travel during light yeah um, never go by yourself blah 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 yeah but they go to his parents he insists on going to his parents he finds his parents and uh, his parents are dead, but not infected. They've committed suicide. Which was such yeah. an ever picture of yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, don't wake up. Yeah, um, it's it's very, very sad. Um, and then they stay there for the evening, and then they're attacked by more zombies. So there's three, there's Killian Murphy, Naomi Harris, and the other dude who I don't know right. the actor's name. Incidentally, Danny Boyle did most, cast mostly um, unknown actors at this Which point. is so weird to watch yeah, now. You know. you know, now the Killian Murphy and Naomi Harris are <laughs> extremely famous. Today. Same with Brendan Gleeson. Well, Brendan Gleeson and Christopher Eccleston who show up late, they were quite well known. They were, okay, okay. Sort of, I guess, to like sell the movie, they needed some sort of star power. But to make it more believable, he mostly wanted to cast 
unknown mm-hmm. actors um, make it seem more realistic, I suppose, sure. apart from Brendan Gleeson and Christopher Eccleston, who were more well-known. At this point, the three characters, the other one who's, I don't know, the actor, he, he gets bitten or he gets like, he sort of cuts He's his got a gash on his arm. And then Naomi Harris instantly just hacks him up with a machete. And I forgot, first of all, how fantastic she is in this movie. She is really, really like a cold-hearted bitch. In the but beginning. she's like so, like, you know, complete, like, you Believable, know. Believable, yeah. She has the best character arc. I think so, yeah. Because so, initially she's like, you know, if you want to survive. I think there's a good line where I didn't write it down, which is like, there's no, like how there's no future, you know, there's nothing, there's no, it's just survival at this point, mm. you know, there's no, it's not living, it's just, it's just yeah. survival. Surviving's you know? as good as it gets. Or Surviving's as good as it gets, that's the line. So yeah, she instantly kills this other guy. She sort of represents the idea that if you want to survive in this, what the world now is, you can't, you, you know, you have to be willing to kill, you know, your sister or your brother or whoever at the drop of a heartbeat mm. otherwise you die you can't get attached you can't you know people are just going to slow you down the only reason to travel with people is it's so it will increase safety. your own survival yeah safety exactly it's not about making relationships or friends or anything else it's just about survival yeah so after hacking him to death and then leave they then as they're walking correct me if I'm wrong see Christmas lights yes up in a, um, tower, a block. tower block, yeah, a block of flats, they see Christmas lights. They go upstairs and they find Brendan Gleeson and his daughter. I have never seen this, the actri- the actress who plays his daughter in anything I else. I wonder why. And she really is terrible in yes. this movie. Even she? her voice is aggravating. Yeah, she's, she's all over the place. I kind of get the impression they realise that as well, because she doesn't have much dialogue. Most of her acting... Isn't really shown. There's only really yeah. shown when she's lying there, yeah. um, or like not doing anything. Yeah. She's pretty terrible. She's not good. And I, I looked up her IMDb after this. I think she's made one other film, right. and then she, she's a musician as well. But yeah, she's oh, yeah. she stands out as in a in a in a film where all the performances I think really good, particularly Gillian Murphy and uh, Naomi Harris. They find these two people. Uh, they then go. They hear a radio broadcast from the military saying that there is a group of survivors with with military people in like near Manchester. So the four of them um, take Brendan Gleeson's taxi, he's a, a cabbie, they take his taxi and they start driving, they leave London and they start driving to the sort of Manchester area. And I really like this part of the film actually where there's, there's a bit, they make a couple of stops uh, during the first bit, they stop off at a petrol station, Killy Murphy goes inside to look for he wants hamburgers yeah uh, he goes inside and he gets attacked by a, a zombie child who he then killed and this is the first zombie that he's actually killed that's right day. and i thought that was the reference to dawn of the dead you know uh, in the original where they stop off to get petrol and the guy goes in and kills the two kids not by choice but because he uh, had to okay. I, don't, I have seen the original yeah, you know the zombie gets his head cut off uh, okay yeah uh, but he that. kills kids in that and he does the same thing let's just go let's just go yeah um, okay. interesting yeah uh, but that's funny, like that one shot, there's almost like one shot in this film where it's just colour and it's mm. of the, the fields with uh, all the flowers. That's really the only shot yeah. of colour. The rest is quite grey and yeah, drab. Yeah, they've been in London and it's, you know, London is. <laughs> and it is shot on video. It has, it actually almost reminded me aesthetically of Bezois, where it has this really grainy, almost handheld, shaky, uh, everything's yeah. sort of like slightly. Yeah, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of shaky cam in this, and I, I don't know what, I don't know much about cameras anyway. I don't know how or what they. I mean, it's also them. kind of day. 
it, it does fit. You can tell it was made in the in the two thousands. Yeah, it adds and to this. Stuff. Yes. it adds to the feeling well, in, of in the propulsion. Style of, yeah, you know? when you say that, do you mean like in the style of filmmaking or the fact that it's you know set in a world before smartphones, for example? A bit of um, is that, yeah, a, I think that is a bit of both yeah. actually. Um, you can just tell it's it's dated. You know, you yeah. can tell where it was. They even they make a soundtrack. They go to a budgets as well. They go to a budget. I remember The actual quality of the camera. Yeah, it, it, you can you can date it to the yeah, and I do want how intentional that is to make it again look more authentic almost like it's a documentary that you're watching like this could be happening it's hard to tell really but yeah. it certainly works yes um, yeah, yeah yeah it adds yeah it adds to the atmosphere of the film so i'm sure it was somewhat intentional yeah. but maybe for the more grainy jittery mm. that's the first time they, they uh, go to petrolation Gilly murphy um, kills a zombie child and then later they stop off at, um somewhere like with the fields and stuff and there's a nice bit where they see some horses mm. He has a conversation. The thing that made me laugh, they see the horses and they're like, right, let's get dinner. And I thought, was there a scene I forgot where they're going out hunting horses <laughs> and things? <laughs> I wasn't sure yeah. what I, what, where it was going to go, but yeah. yeah. This is the point where Kenny Murphy and Emma Harris have a conversation about like, maybe it's, maybe survival isn't just um, mm. as good as it gets. Maybe maybe we can sort of rebuild. And at this point, they're, they're almost like a family unit. Sweet moment where um, Kenny Murphy's having a nightmare, Frank, um, Brendan Gleeson's gap sort of wakes him up and he calls him dad and it's, it's, it's a really sweet Even the bit where he's like, oh, just give a half a pill. You know, there are the, yeah. you know, done really well in that kind of small, yeah. like, ten minute mm. uh, they, Yeah, they, they take Valiant to fall asleep, yeah. which, which does come up uh, later in the film as well. Um, so, yeah, th th at this point, it's, it, things are looking quite good. You think, you know, they're a nice family unit. They're all, you know, Naomi Harris's character, who is, was initially very, like, survival as good as it gets. She is sort of warming, you know, they're, they're they're not a couple at this point. But there is a romance There's brewing. a romance brewing. Yeah, yeah I think really from the beginning, there is a bit of sexual tension between yeah. those two. They get to near Manchester. There's a bit where they, Manchester is... And, and a fire. Really. Yeah, like completely burned Which down. I forgot about that scene. Was yeah. Great. And then they get to the place where the Bradley broadcast was um, being broadcast and there's no one there. Um, Brendan Gleeson's sort of freaking out. He kicks a like a post um, where there's a sort of body at the top and a bit of blood drips in his eye. Heartbreaking yeah. scene because I was actually dreading watching because I yeah I remember every time that bit comes up I'm like oh everything's going so well yeah and like and due to also what happens later the fact that Brendan Gleeson Brendan Gleeson's death and infection marks a change in where this film is going tonally I think um so yeah he dies and again it's a reminder that a drop of blood in the eye and within seconds. He's infected. It's just so scary. It's heartbreaking. Because I love you. Get away from me. Get yeah. away from me. And the one thing that bugs me about this film is there are some coincidental moments. They've been shouting for 20 minutes. Mm. Then instantly all these soldiers pop up and shoot yes. me. And it, that... Uh, I wonder if that was intentional. intentional sure. Sure. Yeah. Didn't think about that. Because, okay, so. yeah, and yeah his, his death marks the start of a very... The film goes... Somewhere else, because they do a very dark third act. Darker than I remember. Oh, it's really fucking um, dark. Yeah, and, and it, you know, a similar thing in a lot of zombie movies where the zombies ultimately aren't the real Villain, villains. Yeah. It's, the, it's the survivors. Yeah. So they're rescued, quote-unquote rescued... By Doctor Who. By, by yeah, by, <laughs> by, by soldiers led by Christopher Epperson. Who, I mean, have you played Doctor Who at this point? No, that oh, was uh, yeah. 2005. So, yeah, they're rescued by, um, by some soldiers... Led, led by Christopher Eccleston, Brendan Gleeson has just died, so his daughter is distraught. They're all, they were becoming a She family. acknowledges it as well, because she's like, everything's yeah. fucked. He, yeah. uh, he's dead, now what are we going to do? Yeah. Like, you can tell like her whole entire philosophy is starting to break apart. Yeah, yeah. yeah, where she now feels some attachment to the little girl. Yeah. Um, they have a thing, yeah, to you. Yeah, they're greeted by Christopher Eccleston. Um, he's showing Killian Murphy sort of around, um, around this big mansion, this sort of house that they're, 
all set up in uh, in which there is an infected soldier who they've got chained up. Another outside. Day of the Dead reference. You know, oh, okay. you, that's the one I haven't You've seen. You've not seen Day of no, the Dead? Oh, Day of the Dead's underrated. Okay. It's probably most bleak. Okay. Um, it's got you know the you've seen the whole Chokado. Yes, know. I've seen that. That yeah. I feel that's a reference to Chad or whoever. Uh, you know, Chud. you know okay, the, yeah. the the zombie that they've got chained yeah, up. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of the okay, same yeah. thing. And that also has soldiers as the um, that's a real bad guy. Yeah. And they're yeah, they're actually yeah, yeah scarier than the zombies. Yeah. Um, so he's an infected soldier who's chained up, and Christopher says he's keeping him there to see how long it takes for the infected Start to starve to death. Even though he's a despicable character, he does seem to genuinely care about his soldiers. Um, but yeah, he doesn't seem to have much compassion for this guy. Mm. Um, they later, and it does become important that this uh, zombie soldier is there, chained up uh, a bit later on. So they're, they're having dinner. Um, they Christopher Eccleston and this other soldier, the um, sort of second in command, you know, talking about, he's sort of saying, like, you know, in terms of the grand scheme of the um, existence, the human race are just sort of a blip. Is this the end of the world or is this just nature taking its course? And then Killian Murphy sort of says, you know, what I've, what I've seen in the last 28 days is people killing people, which is what I've always seen, you know. This is nothing new. This is just, you know, violence is innate in humans, which I think is what, it's a thing they set up, like, towards early on in the film with the footage of all the violence and stuff, you know. People killing people is, is nothing new. This has been reality for, you know, since the dawn of time, essentially. Um, then after this, they're, they're, some zombies sort of run up uh, the, the house that they're in. Well, they've got landmines. They've got landmines. They've land got a whole defence system. Yeah, the soldiers. And all the soldiers are just the most, like, awful, Gun-tooting leery, they are, sort of yeah. crass, disgusting. You know, one in particular is just a despicable, vile piece of shit. After they take out all the zombies, they harassing and sort of leering over Naomi Harris and the, and the daughter. And the daughter, yeah. Who, I don't know how old she's supposed to be. They, they mentioned that like, she's, she's like, like 15. Four, if that, I'm pretty sure they mentioned she's like 13, 14. Yeah, so yeah, they, they start like harassing uh, the two women. Um, then Kenny Murphy punches one of the soldiers. Then Christopher Christen sort of takes, he apologises to them and then sort of takes Killian Murphy aside and sort of says... I've promised my men women well, we're going to rebuild the line. human race. He, that's what he says. I've promised them women. And you're like, oh, fuck. You know, this is not... The broadcast was literally just a ploy to lure women here so they can essentially make them sexual slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point, he says to Killian Murphy, you know, you can be one of us if you want. And then he, you know, Killian Murphy wants no part in any of this. So then they take... The soldiers take Killian Murphy along with the uh, with the other soldier, who's the one who was saying like, you know, this human race is just a blip. He's the only one who realizes that this is, you know, absolutely appalling. Mm. That if this is existence, then what's the point? Um, they take him out, sort of march him up there to die, whilst Naomi Harris and um, the the daughter. So they being, they, being, they, they make they make them wear dresses. They're getting well. groomed. They're yeah. basically like they're trying to dress it up like this isn't just rape. Doing something like a service to mm. humanity. It's very very dark. You know, you do not think at the beginning of this film that that's where this it's film is going. They're the kind of topics that are going to come up on it. But it has a very <laughs> it sounds we'd say kitchen sink realism approach to the idea of an outbreak. Mm. Like you say, it's very British. Yeah, very British film. Much like Nosferatu is a very German, very operatic, mm. very serious, very yeah. like you know existential take on the vampire. This is a very British take. Yeah. On infected. exactly, yeah, and like when you compare it to a film like Dawn of the Dead, uh, the two thousand and four one, which I think has very American, very American, and even though the I quite film, like it actually. I think you know, the first ten minutes is fantastic, one of my favorite openings in horror, and then it's got that awesome um, Johnny Cash bit, and again, like mm. that, that's a film that has like you know violence uses like stock footage of 
violence and stuff to associate has a real effect actually yeah again i think the 2004 dawn verdict was very very heavily influenced uh, by 28 days later as is every zombie film that has you know come since then mm. the rest of that film is quite stylized almost more of an action film than than a horror film whereas this film yeah it's very it's it, it feels very authentic and like this is how people would behave in the yes. zombie apocalypse killian murphy manages to escape the soldiers um there's a point where at, at this point he's hiding and he sees a plane Mm -hmm. up ahead um, which I did wonder in this version is that is he really seeing that or I actually didn't think that, that I've also uh, I think he did I think, I think it end, does happen at the end of the film I think it does happen yeah because yeah, that's when it starts to hint that actually there is maybe more yeah you know you've seen The Mist yes you know the whole thing actually there is actually more happening than what the characters actually yeah. know about yeah and, and even before that the other soldier is sort of saying like they're saying it's the whole world but it, you know how, how we how do we know it's the whole world? If if this you know realistically, wouldn't they just let us all you know the rest of the world just let us all die to contain the infection? So at this point, you're like, even though we've been told this is the end of the world and this infection is global, maybe it is just in the UK and there is other life out there. So yeah, he sees the plane. He goes back to the um sort of re the, the place where where he comes back and gets infected and, yeah. and starts doing the siren to try and save yeah uh, Naomi Harrison the terrible yeah. actress the, the, the uh, Megan Burns is her um is Burns all right um, and Hannah Hannah is the character Hannah Jim, they are Jim Hannah. Selena and Hannah yeah they're all the very British names yes and uh Henry Major Henry West is also uh, very is that is that a Lovecraft reference you think I don't know enough about Lovecraft um, you know Herbert West. Oh, okay. Uh, I doubt it. I think yeah, it's just the same. Yeah. Killian Murphy lures them back. At this point, he goes... He goes, Rambo. He goes, he goes for Rambo. Topless yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And almost like feral, you know. And, and, yeah. And again, it's associating like a bit later on, Naomi Harris mistakes him for one of the... That's right. Because, uh, because of a scene where he brutally the, the worst most horrible soldier gouges his eyes out brutally murders him and, and gouges his eyes out and it, you know it's very satisfying because you know the, the character is such a piece of shit takes that one soldier with quite with relative ease considering mm -hmm. he's been in hospital you know yeah and he's yeah, amazing he just, he turns into a full badass yeah point, but with, you no know, you know yeah no yeah. prior training but yeah. who knows I don't know adrenaline yeah. might kick in yeah and, uh, I think so yeah it's like Christopher Eccleston and another soldier who goes Go to investigate. He kills one of the soldiers and then um, sabotages the car. So Chris. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Chris Freckleston, he like runs back to the house, trying to follow Killian Murphy. Killian Murphy turns up at the house. He frees Sergeant Mailer. And he almost him. has his moment of like gratitude. The yeah, he does. You know, yeah. he sort of looks at him, and then and there's a couple of moments in sort of towards the end of the film where you wonder sort of what's going on in their head and mm. if they're sort of aware there is some lingering humanity well I think there is that because the, even the scene where he kills the kid you know the whole thing about rage you hear the kid shout I hate you I do you I didn't yeah know and uh. it's interesting to think like is, ra is, is the rage virus like personal to each yeah. individual and even the bit like where, the, where he first gets attacked in his parents house yeah. he's got a candle and he's playing the radio yeah. They never mention it, but the, the POV shot of the affected person running into the house, you see and hear the music he's playing. So it does kind of give you a few clues and ideas to how, okay. how it works, yeah. Um, even like a, I thought potentially like a, a psychic connection. You know, she's like, there'll be more, there's always more. You know, it's like a, a hive mind thing. Yes, he does. Yeah, more always come. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it doesn't explain too much. I mean, because they 
But who cares? You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it just like, it's like, you know, we only know as much as the characters yeah. know, and this, this infection is 28. It's like how, you know, COVID, for example, yeah. going on for two years. But it's, we it, still don't fully understand. I think we should say, it, I don't know about you, but it is weird now watching anything with like yeah. a global pandemic. Yes, um, it is, yeah. Maybe, I don't know, maybe added to the film slightly. Because I was yeah. watching it on the bus, actually, on the way home from work. <laughs> yeah, because it's the first time I've ever watched something streamed off my phone. Oh, okay. Um, I don't think I ever watched anything streamed And I was sitting on the bus, and I was thinking, it's actually quite a scary concept. Imagine, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just literally, like, on the bus, and just these people just show yeah. up and start, like, yeah, I'd be dead, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. I think there's a, yeah, there's a cat earlier on, the... Um, the bus is flipped over at the beginning of the Yes, film. but I was also thinking about one of the characters, um, the one who Amy Harris killed at the beginning, and he's telling a story about um, his dad early on when money. they were trying to, like, escape, and now it's just crowds and crowds, and he's like, someone was infected, and it just, you know, it's those, like, stories you hear which sound so terrifying, like... Mm. Initial start of it before the full-on collapse of um, of Britain. He frees this zombie soldier, takes out a few more soldiers, and rescues Noam Harris and uh, Megan. I think there's a great bit because they they take uh, they take Valium. Well, she gives her set up. Yeah, well, she's actually again a really dark scene. It is. Yeah. Where she was like, it will it will make you not care. Yeah, and exactly, happened to. Yeah. And I thought that was a really tender moment. Mm. Um, and quite believable on a very disturbing level, you know, that this, you know, this older, mature woman yeah. is having to kind of teach. Yeah, who, 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 you know, fully appreciates the gravity of the, of the horror about what's about to happen. Yeah, and so she gives a Valium, the bit where Megan is sort of, and I thought she actually was okay in this scene when she's sort of all on Valium and doped up. She's like, the other soldiers have been a while, haven't they? What yeah. do you think they are? Just not really get... Because really she's dead and wooden and just a bit off, you know. Yeah, yeah, right. it works when she's on Valium. Um, is that you stoned? Yeah. You know, was, yeah. So yeah, um, gradually they, they take out all the soldiers, great bit where Gillian Murphy just like bashes this guy's skull in and then gouges out his eyes and it's, it's really brutal and again yeah then Naomi Harris she thinks that Jim actually might be infected and nearly kills him um, because of how like violent he's, he's being exactly rage and again I think even calling the virus rage it's like you know maybe this is where humanity is headed just you know everyone's just eventually all hell's going to break loose and we're all going to kill each other all the soldiers die um, Christopher Ferguson at this point then comes back and shoots Killian Murphy uh, and then it, then Megan, she's... Um, so, so they're about to Hannah escape in the taxi. Yeah. And um, for a second you think Hannah is going to betray Hannah. the two characters. Really? Oh, that she's going to drive off? Yeah, she drives off. Oh, and then okay. you realise she drives down an alleyway where the chained-up zombie pulls Christopher yes. and out of the car. They then drive away. There's a single flash frame where it says hell on like this green landscape. And I think it was a dream he was having. Um, it's them writing um, hello. They're, they're making. Didn't they say hell at first? Well, yeah, because they haven't finished the earlier. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, there's a bit in. Well, they initially they take Jim's been shot, so they take him to a hospital and manage to resuscitate. And there's actually a few. Uh, there were a few endings to this film. Oh um, right, okay. One where um, one where Jim dies, um, and it's just you know the two women who survive the movie, and then one. I'm just reading the Wikipedia page now, um, which was only st- not shot and only storyboarded, which which is quite a drastic difference that instead of um, Frank being killed by the soldiers, they uh, they take him up and like back to the, the, the lab where we open the film and like um, Jim does a blood transfusion to save him. I can see why they didn't go with that ending because that's ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. But it's yeah. funny you say that because it's, it's odd. You know, sometimes in these movies, 
they, they kind of do 360 and go back to the lab. It's funny yeah. how they never actually go back to yes. that. Um, I, like I like that because it feels realistic. You yeah. know what I mean? It has because this film had a very nihilistic tone. To yes, it. absolutely. Um, yeah. I I know I like the idea of him dying actually because that yeah. also does feel. I think yeah, I can, more I can see them going that way, especially like like you said at the beginning. There's sort of um, there's religious stuff and him like looking like Jesus on the cross. I think him dying, you know, while saving the. Um, two other characters mm. that, that could have been a good ending but I still like yeah, the ending good. we actually got where they go out to the countryside there's another 28 days later flash forward we see the like a few of the infected dying from starvation mm -hmm. which again they do set up earlier because that's why he uh, Chris Crocker says he's keeping that zombie soldier alive um, and they're making a big banner thing like um, saying hello so initially it says hell and then they finish the O and there's a, a, a like a jet I think like a Swedish or Finnish, um, yeah, it's um, European language they're speaking. They get their attention, and then the implication is that they're now going to be rescued. And then the film ends. Yeah, um, I forgot how much I actually like this movie. It's great. Um, I, it's it's one of my favorite horror films. Yeah. And it's not afraid to go there. You know, there's that whole bit where you know they find he finds like the woman and the dead baby, mm. and it's it's dark, it's grimy, and it's really anxiety inducing. Mm. You know, the whole bit where they cra where he's going, this is a terrible idea. Going another tunnel, this is yeah. a shit idea. And of course, it happens. Yeah, and the zombies and the rats are running away. Yeah, crazy. Mm. And I forgot about the famous bit on the bridge. Really, really, really great movie. Mm. I think the scariest one we've actually covered on this set. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah, it, um, it is really, really scary, and yeah, and, and yeah, yeah, just like anxiety-inducing. Yeah, the whole film, just like the fast editing, the fast zombies. It's just you know, it's it's really you know, panicky. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's really, really full on. Yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't let up. But yeah, it reminds me a bit of like Wreck, which again, every zombie film since then has has fast zombies. You know, I think they are mostly, scary. Yeah, fast zombies are way. Know, if scary. a zombie can run after you, it's always going to be yeah. scary. Yeah. You know? When they're just, you know, when zombies in older movies, when they're all slow moving and stuff, it's like, you always you know, have the advantage, slightly. yeah. And they're a bit rubbish and almost comical, yeah. You know, there is, and I think maybe that's why the zombie genre was quite stagnant for a while. Just like, how do we I make think it is kind of stagnant again now. I'm yeah. sort of, I can't think of the last, I'm trying to think of the last zombie film, one so. of the dead. If that's that good, that's yeah, a that's a good movie, yeah. but and then you know, that's them doing something different, yeah. Um, and that, yeah, and that was also, yeah, a comedy, comedy horror, but yeah, like Rank, obviously, uh, a few years later has. Similar thing with infected, even though there's kind a, of more religious. Yeah, well, then, then it go, yeah it goes in a different direction. We should talk about wreck one day. Mm. Wreck's great. Could do um, like franchises. Maybe yes, um, but yeah, wreck is another one like fast zombies and just like Train to Busan, which I've not seen yes, still. Actually, I haven't seen. I haven't seen Train to Busan. Fantastic. That's really like considering it's two hours and it's zombies on train. You do think how the hell are they going to pull this off? How can you get that much mileage? But it's it's really really good. Um, Yes, um, but yeah, I think, yeah, it's a very, very influential film. Um, it's like, like as we were saying earlier, this is a it, Danny Boyle is not a horror film maker, um, but he had you like to say Sunshine. Um, sort of Even Train Spotting, there are certain like horrific, horrific yeah. elements. And these the, the first film, a <laughs> film called Shallow Grave, which yeah, yeah, people yeah, have yeah, seen, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, which yeah. also has uh, Christopher Eccleston in and um, Hugh McGregor. That's right. About the three friends who essentially find some money and then try to keep the money, but people inevitably come looking. That's for got money. you know the famous scene with the, with the with the drill in the ceiling and everything. Yes. Um, that, yeah. That, that's a bit, it's not a it's not a horror, but it's a, definitely a thriller and uses a couple of horror, horror tropes. tropes. But yeah, he's he's not a horror. You wouldn't call him a horror filmmaker, even if he has made one of the most. You know, like probably one of the scariest films ever made, and it still feels like a Danny Boyle. 
movie, yes. the way like the editing and stuff, like you know, the music. Like, he has music, a very specific yeah. use of music that you could tell. It's very English. I don't know. It's just, yes. And it's also very 2000. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. It wasn't until after I watched both these films that they were sort of similar in regard to the imagery mm. and like Nosferatu and, and this. Yeah, in terms of yeah. the director's approach to depicting horror. Yeah. And creating they that they feeling. Because they don't approach it like it's not like they just watched a horror film and thought I'm going to do that I'm going to do that I'm it's more technical it's, it's, it's but more... it's it's within their you know they don't stray too far from how, from their own sort of mm. style of filmmaking but they just use that style of filmmaking to depict horror and that's why it works they're not trying to be something they're not I guess and like you say it's not them trying to tick a box and, and do you know make a horror film to say they've made a horror film or you know for commercial success it's like I want to make this film I'm going to do it in this way, and it's also it's going to be horror because of the subject matter. It needs to be horror, you know. If we're yeah. doing a, a film about a infection that you know destroys humanity, of course it's going to it's be, going a be a horror. horror. Film. Yeah. yeah, but I don't know. I, I just feel because because they're working within new genres, it's almost part of their job to emphasize the horror. Yeah, and using these kind, even you know images of churches and you know even the way it's filmed, you could almost even argue that um, images, almost textbook technical motifs to create. Mm. Horror, as opposed to someone, you know, like you were saying, uh, you know, Argento, Wes Craven, uh, John Carpenter. Even though he, I think, I did more, John Carpenter, he, but he's more influenced he's by done, westerns. Okay, you know, um, I think even Carpenter, he's made. He's, he doesn't like horror movies. Well, yeah, I guess he's he's made The Thing and Halloween, which are two of the most the fog, famous. Uh, he made the fog Christine. Well, uh, okay. He's done quite a lot of horror. He's done a lot. But of then, horror. yeah, but then he's also made a few non. You know, but then you look at someone like uh, Ridley Scott. Yes, yeah. who I don't really like, mind you. Um, I don't particularly like a lot of films. But you but think right. horror, you know, he's done Alien, and then he did Hannibal, and people still did, reference did, yeah. that. I've not actually seen Hannibal. Um, it's all right. I actually watched it here. Really? Yeah. Okay. yeah like three in the morning. Oh uh, yeah. Um, I'm saying actually, yeah. And there were a moment, you know, the scene with you know Ray Liotta that stuck with me. And really, Scott would be an interesting. I, I did think about sort of other. I didn't think Peter really Jackson. Scott. So this also yeah. comes back to the whole Sam Raimi thing. Mm. Well, I've really been um, yeah, thinking about this. Yeah, because that's what sparked this whole thing. I said yeah. Sam Raimi is a horror filmmaker, and you said, why is he a horror filmmaker? Because he's, you know, he's only actually made three horror films. And then I, I felt, because even though people will know him from Spider-Man and other things, the when people who are fans of Sam Raimi, because I think even if you're fans of Spider-Man, people who know the, those trilogy, they're probably going to think of them as Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies before they think of them as the Sam Raimi Spider-Man okay. movies. Even I would probably refer to them as the Tobey Maguire ones. But whereas people who really like Sam Raimi, they're probably going to really like him because of the Evil Dead franchise. Sure. And you can I see the stylistic, you can see the horror reflections within that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. There's a certain, if, if, if you start off in horror or if your choice is to make a horror film, mm. you clearly have some Money aside, yeah. Uh, but again, you know, I don't feel like the money think, like, yeah, horror you... isn't like director for hire at the moment. Yeah, you know, when you you look at modern horror films, it, they mainly stick within horror at the moment. If it's a debut, even the guy who directed the last uh, Jurassic Park film worked on a lot of Spanish gothic horror movies, uh, okay. and there are there's literally a reference to the last twenty minutes of that film is Nosferatu with, with the dinosaurs. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> There's even, have you ever seen that episode of Spongebob Squarepants? Where, the Nosferatu episode, there's a, there's yeah, a, yeah. Where it's like, they sort of do like a horror, they think that there's someone, like a murderer is stalking them, and at the end it feels like there was no murderer, and then there's a Nosferatu reference at yeah. the end, for absolutely yeah. no one. 
but it's still there and it's just it's so funny and even remember Good Adventures of Billy and Mandy? Yeah. There's a Suspiria episode. Is there Yeah, really? there's, okay. there's a where they go to a, a you know, a ballet and there are witches. Yeah. Um, oh, that was a great show. That was a great <laughs> We should do an episode on that, like cartoon. Like Courage the Cowardly Dog as well. That's the proto-horror, yeah. you know, like what mm. influenced it. Both exceptional movies. Both made by really quality filmmakers. Yes, I'm a big, again, I've not seen as many um, movies as you, I think. Danny Boyle movies, obviously Train Spotting is some probably considered his best film. I'd probably, say. I think yeah. I know like Slumdog Millionaire. Several people who think you say Train Spotting is their favourite film yeah. of all time or one of their favourite. Yes, yeah, Slumdog Millionaire, which I don't love. It's all right. It's fine. But Yesterday, yeah, that, that which was wasn't a, very good. Yeah, uh, yeah. 127 hours. Oh, you did do that. Yeah, that. yeah, that's yeah, a great yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, Train Spotting Two as well. Obviously, he did the Steve Jobs. Oh, Christ, yeah, did, yeah. That's really an Aaron Sorkin movie. Uh, and that's the thing, I think Danny Boyle, which <laughs> maybe actually complicates the argument, that he is a genre hopper. He, he clearly has He's, a love yeah. for film. And he, He's made lots of different types yeah. of films. But then I think most filmmakers, most most filmmakers have probably made which is of, films in lots of different genres, even if horror might not. not so, I don't know. I, I thought there are always filmmakers who have like a certain cul-de-sac they, they feel part of. I think it's very rare you have a filmmaker that can do a film in uh, each genre and it really but feel not, like yeah that. but I, I, I'm thinking like I don't know like famous like um, Francis Ford Coppola or Martin Scorsese sure. or uh, they, I mean Quentin Francis Ford Cop- Coppola started or out making horror films you know? yeah and then he did obviously the Dracula movie yeah, yeah. Apocalypse Now would argue is a horror film yeah um, <coughs> but, I, but then he's maybe that, it's the know, reaction though you, I think those directors are the most Directors or Brian De Palma, even. Yeah, but um, you wouldn't say Brian De Palma or Quentin Tarantino is a blank filmmaker. You know, a, a something filmmaker. He's he's done loads and loads of different. They've all done loads of different. I think stuff. you could make a case because De Palma has in the past been advertised. De Palma just rips off Hitchcock. That's so all, that's all De Palma does. Oh, I, I love Brian. I don't like Brian De Palma. Um, you know, he's advertised the, the master of suspense. You know, and you look at. The no, Palmer's Hitchcock, career. Hitchcock, yeah. uh, but but one uh, the Palmer was making things like Dress to Kill, Sisters, Obsession, Carrie, even I do like uh, Carrie. the That's Fury, the which one. was almost like a Scanners esque thing. Even Raising Cain. Yeah. Um, the, the, these are like these films are embedded within the kind of horror adjacent slasher giallo psychological okay, yeah, horror. Okay, the Palmer, you could almost um, say is maybe a, a horror maker or a. But also in gangster filmmaker. But then also he's made the Yeah, which was actually a bit disappointing last time I watched it. And that's what it is. I think maybe, actually, maybe that is, maybe it's people's reaction to filmmakers' art that they put out. You were talking about Cronenberg at the beginning, where, you know, people talk about his horror. He's remembered that, but that's kind of negating the last 20 years of his film. Yeah, he's not made a horror in a very long time. His next film is. It's a remake of his first movie. Yeah, with Mortensen. That's it, yeah. Um, I don't which, know much about it. It's this is gonna be horror. Okay. Ironically. Yeah. Um, but and even and incidentally, you know, um his son, Brandon Cronenberg, yes, he made antiviral and um, obsessed Obsessa, which I think is one of the best films of the last ten that was years. Great. That was a great mm, film. Amazing film. I don't know if we fully answered the sort of question that yeah, we sent out about yeah. horror film and non horror filmmakers, but we I think we definitely talked about two I think there is a distinction. I think generally, but it is a very sort of hard to define concept and I Think I'm not sure there's necessarily a right or wrong answer to the sort of questions. So maybe it's more genre in itself. That mm. genres have a particular formula. This is probably very like contrite and cliche to say, <laughs> but um, there's a particular for- formula, and it's it's depending on who is 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 producing that formula yeah. and to what their own style, I guess. There are certain tropes 
and they work within. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just the feeling more so. Yeah. But I think maybe horror. But then you could almost argue that maybe not. I don't know. Romance. I guess it is a feeling. Comedy is more of a reaction. But horror had. You know, you can take a frame from a horror film. You can probably figure out that it's horror. Take a, yeah. You know, something from a comedy, unless it's like a video version. Yeah. You couldn't tell. I think horror works on a slightly deeper level. Yeah. Than most other genres, where it's almost twofold. I agree. Yeah. And I think that's it. I think that's really the finite kind of axiom where it's, it's the emotion, what it is you're trying to express. Okay. Yeah. Well, we've said some things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, this was a good, um, I think, experiment episode. Yeah. I think I would I quite like it. to do yeah. stuff like this more, like these kind of formats. Yeah, episodes. I think we, that's what we sort of set out to do. We'll try and mix it up. Talk for a very long time and, um, and yeah, I talked about a couple of good horror films yeah. at the end of the day. And yeah, I, I do like both of these movies. And I hadn't seen... Nosferatu, the vampire, or the original 1922 version before we set out. I think we should also actually address real quick. Klaus Kinski was a terrible human being. I have um, this, yeah. You know, in his the daughter's... Klaus Kinski is the, first, is the actor who played Nosferatu in Nosferatu, the vampire. And worked yeah. with Herzog. Herzog he, famously said he was going to kill him, and then himself. Yes. His <laughs> daughter wrote a book explaining how Kinski sexually assaulted her. Really? I didn't know that. He stalked his... Um, agent broke into her house tried to kill her oh my god and then the Herzog film documentary My Best Fiend mm. the guy was a lunatic apparently locked himself in a bathroom th three days and destroyed yeah. the entire bathroom with his bare hands yeah, okay. guy's a piece of shit but he was really good in Not Rock the Vampire we could do that as, a, as another episode what these, these like actors and art or, or like director, actor, like Polanski. Oh, that's another one. I was going to say Polanski, Rosemary's Baby. You know. But but also Repulsion, uh, Knife yeah. in the Water. All of his early yeah, movies. Made, yeah, he's made Chinatown. I remember first seeing Chinatown, and I jumped. There's a scene where someone comes into the door, and there's this like loud noise, and it, there, there is a okay. an atmosphere, and I think that's what it is. It's the atmosphere, okay. the horror atmosphere. Kind of how directors apply that. Okay. You look at Halloween. We need to wrap this up. So I know. <laughs> Basically, who knows really. Yeah, we clearly don't. Who knows? Right, we're gonna and who cares? We're Fuck gonna... you lot, you know, you ain't doing this, we are. We're going to stop talking <laughs> now. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this uh, slightly erratic episode. <laughs> Stay scary, everybody, and we will see you in the next one. We better. Peace.